This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, and very social. From a school teacher admired by students and staff alike to the brilliant host of CTV's smart and sassy talk show, The Social, everything Melissa Grello touches turns to gold. Why? Probably because she was raised by devoted, open-minded, encouraging, and loving parents who believed in hard work and in her. And then there's that inner core inside Melissa that's made of steel. She is firm in her beliefs, but always willing to listen to yours. She's well-read, well-researched, well-rounded, but don't let that gorgeous exterior fool you. She is incredibly intelligent with a satchel full of street smarts and a wit that is razor sharp. Melissa Grello is now a television superstar, uber famous and hugely successful, but to this day, she remains happy, hopeful, and humble. How do I know? This sound. While the two of us were live on air, bonded us forever. Melissa Grello joins us now in conversation. Mel, take us back to that fateful day. I was at the CP24 anchor desk. You were live on location. That day is one that I don't think I will ever forget in the history of my career because, uh, Annie, as much as you and I love and live for breaking news, live breaking news, I don't think any of us were prepared for what happened live on the air on that fateful day. And when I go back to that day, it was kind of... um, If I were to say one of those quirky live stories that once in a while you may be involved in as a reporter or as an anchor, where it's like that, oh, animal on the loose, or oh, there's a moose running through, or there, you know, and and those, they start funny enough, and they start in sort of a quirky, I can't believe this is happening, isn't this the oddest thing story, and that day was one that took such a turn for both of us, and it took such a turn because we are both I mean, animal lovers, there's no other way to put it. And what started as a bunch of steer running loose in a quiet neighborhood, trying to corral them in people's backyards, really turned dangerous and then ultimately deadly for at least one of those animals. And so it went from a very lighthearted, live breaking news story that funny enough, the city was locked into going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with these cows or these steer to oh my gosh, in the sake of keeping people safe, we had to witness, um, you know, sadly, the death of an animal. And I remember that day so well because we both took such a turn in our facial expressions. Yes, yes. And the tone of the story yeah. immediately shifted. And it, you couldn't recover from it because the humanity of it all really was inescapable. You just couldn't... Um, you really couldn't escape the emotions. And when something happens live, you are, you know, it's by nature unpredictable. And I'll never forget that day because I think both of us kind of stopped in our tracks and went, okay, it's all fun and games until it's not. And, um, and I think the whole city was with us and understood when animals and humans collide, 
it doesn't always have a happy ending. And, you know, I remember we were in what's called split screen. So I was on one side of the screen. You were on the other. We were the same size, if you will. That was how it was being photographed live. And both of us, when we heard that gunshot, that's what did it. We both, I remember looking in the monitor, looking at your face, and I know you understood what my face was doing. We were both shocked and horrified. And here's what I also remember, Mel. The then head of CP24, Bob McLaughlin, walked by my anchor desk and said to me, don't you cry. <laughs> and uh, and I, I really was on the verge of tears, but we had a job to do. But it was that gunshot and both of us just knowing what had happened. And it was all happening live. And you just sort of had to keep your wits about you and your emotions had to remain in check and you had to tell the story. And you did it so well, Melissa. Well, as did you, I was following your cue because I don't think that obviously either of us anticipated that that was going to happen. But once we both had a moment of shock and then immediately followed by realization of what had just happened, I think we both had to get into the headspace of, okay, we are supposed to be objective news um, and storytellers right now. And we need to compartmentalize, which is extremely difficult for us to do, especially when it comes to really uh, difficult stories and stories that include animals. And so I think both of us went very quickly um, in the flash of an eye from, oh, my gosh, to we have a job to do and let's keep doing it because people are depending on us, especially people in this neighborhood. So um, I remember that look on your face. Um, I remember you telling me that story about what our boss had said at the time. And um, then you realize that that's true professionalism. So hats off to you. And hats off to you as well. And so let's go back in time. You grew up on a horse farm. Your love for animals and your respect for them, it came right from birth as far as I'm concerned. And your parents, oh, they're so wonderful. I have had the privilege and the honor of meeting both your parents and also spending time inside the arena at your parents' horse farm. But you decided to move into higher education. You're very well-educated. You became a teacher. Why? You know, teaching, I think, was very natural to me. It came naturally to me because I had been coaching and teaching horseback riding lessons since I was myself a child. I started teaching when I was 12 years old. That was my first student. Um, and that first student, you know, she went on to do great things. So I guess I couldn't have been that bad. (laughs) So it turned out that I really had a knack for it and had watched my father who was such an adept instructor. And so I had learned very much, um, by watching him, what made an effective teacher. And I think that even though that was a skill set in a horse arena, um, a lot of that is transferable to the classroom, um, because most of my students in the arena were young children. And so it was very natural. And I think in hindsight, pretty predictable that that was a natural, easy place to go and land because it was so second nature to me. I mean, I had to get the paperwork and the diplomas and the degrees to make it official. Um, but it was something that came so easily to me and I knew I was good at, and I really enjoyed connecting with um, the kids. I think that I was always, and probably still am very much a kid at heart. But um, when I went into teaching, I decided to teach what is known as the intermediate senior division, which is grade seven to the end of high school. And a lot of my friends who were also in teaching were thinking, what are you doing? It's like, that's the toughest age in history. I mean, that's hormones, girl. And I said, you know what? I love it. And I think it probably goes back to 
um, that was a really transformative, those ages were really transformative in my life. And it was teachers that made the difference, I think, from me choosing one path, uh, path versus another. And I thought if I can have that same kind of influence on young people, then, you know, I feel like I would have kind of done my job as a teacher. And so that naturally led me into teaching. And, you know, as my dad says, when you're on the right path, all the angels and saints will help you. Um, and it really was, um, you know, perhaps if I may say that the easiest time in school I've had in university, <laughs> I maybe shouldn't say that out loud, but five years, two degrees, and it was pretty um, resistance free and, and real easy. And so it was you know, found a job immediately after graduating. So I figured, you know what, I think I'm on the right track. Okay, so your dad said, uh, you know, angels and saints, so they guide you and protect you and whatnot. So those angels and saints also pointed you in a different direction. You decided that you were <laughs> going to take a, the, a leap of faith, and that's what I call moving into television. So where did that begin, and where did that come from in you? Oh, boy, leap of faith is right. Um, you know, it's, hindsight is twenty twenty, And when I look back at, uh, you know, when I started teaching, I don't think I realized just how burnt out I probably was um, in terms of a lot happens in your life in your mid-20s. And you probably know this, uh, which a lot of listeners wouldn't know, is that, you know, you're going through a lot of relationship stuff. And that was I think a catalyst for me when I was teaching, I was in a relationship for many years. Um, I had been, we had been working together. We had sort of, uh, you know, helped the rebirth of CP24 and we were working long days, you know, and when I look back at that time, I realized like I was really burnt out before I started to, you know, um, decide to even transition into television. So when I go back in time now, I can say, Teaching is really hard, and any teacher will tell you that, especially those first few years where you kind of feel like you're reinventing the wheel and finding your sea legs in the classroom. Um, as much as I loved it, I was also really, really exhausted. It gives, um, you give all of yourself, and, and it really does take all your heart and soul. For the teachers who do it because they love it, they leave nothing on the table, you know? And so really realizing now that I had been pushing myself so hard because I am a perfectionist to a fault and wanting to do and be the right person for these kids. I hit a wall professionally and physically, but it also coincided with a bad relationship. Yep, I And remember. I think that um, that relationship was really forcing me, uh, I can say that now because I've had a lot of therapy, <laughs> to... <laughs> face a lot of things in my life that I probably wasn't willing to face, such as, is this truly the career path that I want? Or is this the easy path? Or is this for somebody else? Is this to please my parents? Is this because this is the noble way to go? And I wasn't asking the big questions, which were, what do I want? What will make me happy? What are my passions? I, I kind of just forgot that part for a while. And I think once my relationship was crumbling in, in coinciding and parallel to me being really burnt out at work, I hit a wall. And I think that wall, in retrospect, was probably a wake-up call in the most painful way possible. And we all know that that's exactly how the best lessons in life often package themselves. And it was all a blessing in disguise to realize that, you know what, I wasn't happy in my relationship. And then asking myself, am I going to actually quit something? And that is a very scary thing to say out loud for someone who is 
ambitious, A-type personality, doesn't quit, doesn't like to fail, always succeed at all costs, show no weakness. I mean, that was really me. And, and on, on the surface, I guess a lot of people think that that's really courageous and brave for someone to be like that. But as I've now learned, as I've grown, um, I also wasn't allowing myself grace and mercy, and I wasn't allowing myself space to, to actually fail, learn a lesson, and grow. And I had denied myself that for up to that point. And I think that that's where going through therapy, I ended the relationship. Um, you know, initially I thought maybe I'm going to leave teaching and just start my master's in education. Maybe I just sort of need to reconnect with why I got into teaching in the first place, which, you know, if you're starting to have doubts about a career, probably picking up a, you know, uh, more degrees in that, uh, industry is not the smartest use of your money, but in any case, it's kind of what I did. And I, I went in and started my master's in education at U of T, broke up with the guy, and then said, oh, no, 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 I'm really, now I'm really not on the right path. I got rid of that thing, so that was good, but I really needed to face the bigger question, which was, what was my passion and what was going to make me happy? And I think that's why I ultimately decided to leave education completely, and, um, you know, thank goodness for my dad has such an eclectic roster of clients. And at the time he had had um, one of his students who was the news director at, uh, at the time, I think maybe still is the biggest um, news French news channel in Montreal. And she had said, Hey, have you ever thought about journalism? And I had said, you know, TV. And she said, yeah, I mean, you have teaching is the same skill set in many respects. And you know, you love the news always was a news junkie, loved reading, loved writing. And she said, how about this? come for um, a summer in Montreal, you can intern and you can, you know, what's the worst that could happen? You don't like it. Well, wasn't that the turning point in my life because I'd spent a summer at what was then CFCF. Now I believe CTV Montreal and it changed my life. And then from there on in, I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's how it started. When we come back, Melissa Grello starts her incredible journey. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. We're back in conversation with Melissa Grello. Melissa, your television journey, once you made the decision to start a relationship with television, which is kind of what emerged from breaking off a relationship with somebody that wasn't working, it wasn't working well. <laughs> it was, it was an, and you use the word eclectic when you describe your father. Uh, it was an eclectic journey, wasn't it? I mean, it, it had, it, it had many different shoots and paths and so on. Was there an aha moment for you through, let's say, Barry, uh, then CP24, then CTV's uh, Vancouver Olympics coverage, well done, by the way, the Academy Awards red carpet? Was there a moment somewhere over that time where you said, aha, I've got it? I think that I don't think there was one big moment that said, aha, I got it. I think um, for sure there were, you know, the moments of being asked to partake in the Olympics, which was a massive moment professionally where I really felt um, seen and recognized and where I felt like my hard work was really being validated. I mean, that was 
a career high for anybody at any stage in their in their career. So that was definitely a big moment of at least feeling validated and seen. Uh, and just prior to that, the Olympic, uh, the um, Academy Awards and, and being asked to go out to Los Angeles to cover that was also a really big moment where, you know, at the time the head of the company had sort of t- pointed at me and said, you're going. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's go and <laughs> never say no, as we know in this industry. So I think those two moments really felt like the hard work that I'd been putting in was being seen and recognized and acknowledged. Um, but I think the aha for me was way back before all of that. And the aha was at the very beginning of my career where I was first, first hired was to say that, you know, I wasn't getting into the industry at 18 or 19 or 20. I already had a bit of life experience under my belt. And so I knew well enough that fail to plan, plan to fail. And so my aha moment came from do as much as you can to sort of plan out the next five years of your life and give this a real smart go. Don't just, you know, work harder, work smarter. And I really had done, I felt like a good job planning as much as you can in this industry, what my path could look like over the short term. And it all just kind of worked out exactly as I had planned it. And so the aha was when I finally got hired for my very first job, it was you trusted yourself. You have been taking a chance this whole time trying to convince your parents this is the right thing to do to leave a great job and all of these things and security. And, um, and I took a big leap and I, I finally said, see, you can trust yourself and you need to do this more often and you need to trust your gut more often and you need to waste less time second guessing yourself. So that really gave me a good shot of confidence in the arm that, wow, if I can achieve this, I need to now set my goals even higher for myself. You had a concept. You had a show idea. Your baby, you pitched it, an all-woman talk show to Bell Media. What, what was their response initially? This would be the social that eventually you gave birth to. I remember the very first meeting I had with uh, the then president, and I had said, listen, I've got three show ideas, and I want to pitch them all to you. And I will not be happy until you at least pick up one of them, (laughs) which is a really bold thing for a little old me to say to the big boss that I felt so passionate about um, all of them and certainly the number one being um, the all-female talk show. And so what I remember about that meeting was that it was with all the top big wigs and I went in there, I had uh, my little sheet and I just didn't, you know, sent it out to everybody so they could take a look. And then I just pitched my heart out. And um, I think clearly the passion, um, it was evident to them because they were really excited and loved the idea. So the reception initially was great. Um, the problem at the time was for a national network is um, it has to be in the right time slot. And at the time, when we looked at our daytime um, scheduling, there wasn't an available time slot. They told me that right out of the gate. They said, we love this. It's got to live on the main network and it's got to live in daytime. This is obviously really catering to a daytime talk show and a daytime um, audience, obviously largely skewing to women. And so, you know, we need to find the perfect time slot for this to actually be successful and work. And at the time, if you recall, Annie, there was a, a time when it's like everybody was having a talk show and it was, you know, I think probably post Oprah and then, you know, Meredith Vieira had a show and then Anderson Cooper had a daytime show and it was still 
Kelly uh, and Regis at the time. I mean, there was a lot of daytime on our network and so on the main CTV network. So I understood what they were saying. And, um, you know, I had to get real patient because it was years after that first meeting that the show actually was greenlit to happen. So it's the hurry up and wait of television. And I'm so lucky I had the patience because... You know, I'm going to share a story that I have never shared with anybody before. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. So I had been so frustrated because I'm just naturally an impatient person that I'd been waiting for at least two years at this point, maybe even three years after that initial meeting and had been meeting with executives on and off throughout that whole time. And we had even laid out budgeting for the show and what it was going to take to do. And the landscape in daytime was changing, you know, like some of the shows weren't doing well. And so they were keeping me in on the loop, but I still didn't feel like the launch of a new talk show was imminent. And I started to get really frustrated. And so at the time I had um, a call with a competing network and they were getting ready to prepare their next Olympic team. And someone had reached out to me because I'd been a part of the Vancouver Olympic team And they had reached out to me to say, are you interested again? And so I said, you know what? I don't know. I've got something in the works. I really love, you know, what I'm doing. I was on CP24 breakfast at the time, but you know, morning grind is hard. And so all the things led me to say, well, listen, it's not going to hurt to at least take a meeting. So I had left my office on my lunch and I was walking down the street and I was off to another network to meet with the executives there. And it was along that walk that my phone rang. Mm. It was the president of CTV. And he said, where are you? I need you up in my office right away, which sounded urgent. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I have to put off a really big meeting right now, but this is my boss. So let me figure this out. So I had called the others and I said, I'm really sorry. Something just came up. I I need to reschedule possibly for later today, but maybe for another day just to be safe. I am so sorry. I felt so unprofessional, right? Turned around. I went right back to work, went up to the fifth floor, which is the executive level. And I walked into the boss's office and he said, congratulations. We have greenlit your show. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Wow. That is an incredible story. I have goosebumps. I have the hair on my forearms is standing up. That is, I've never heard that story, Melissa. And I thank you for sharing that with us. Oh my gosh. In conversation, in depth with Melissa Grello. So Melissa, before we say goodbye, I have to ask you about the importance of family for you, your mother, your father, your husband, Ryan, your beautiful now seven-year-old daughter. It, would any of this mean anything to you, your fame, your, 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 your success, if, if not for them, if not having them with you? I mean, obviously the answer is no, it wouldn't mean anything. And in fact, it's the reverse. I, I feel like, you know, we all go through stages and phases in life as, as we uh, get older and we have more experience in different things. And, you know, certainly when I think of even the last, you know, 15 to 20 years of my life and how much has changed, the motivation for why I worked so hard and why I even got into television in the first place um, you know, many years ago, it's so drastically different than today. And back then it was, I didn't have the responsibilities. I didn't have the husband. I didn't have the daughter. Um, you know, I wasn't at a stage, you know, where I needed to be at all worrying or caregiving for my parents. And it was really that 
old adage of the world is your oyster. And I felt that. And it was, uh, when I say it was a selfish endeavor, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that's exactly what your 20s should be is figuring out life. What's your passion? What makes you tick? And so it was a selfish endeavor that really fueled me and fueled my ambition to work so hard and just try to be the very best at what I was doing. And as I have gotten older, the reasoning and the ambition is fueled by something completely different. And as much as I still work so hard and love my job, the reason why I do it, the why of why I get up every day and still work so hard has changed massively because now it's about legacy. Now it's about being a role model. Now it's about how do you model living your best life for your child? Now it's about what does happiness mean? And, and increasingly that has to include for me, my family, my family's always been important and thank God I've always had my back and uh, luckily I've had a large um, supportive network that everyone supports one another, which it's half the reason for my success in the first place. Cause I think so many people have so many challenges, so many more challenges when they don't have a support system. So I am where I am already because of my family, but today the reason why I work so hard and the reason why I think I've also changed the way I work for sure is because of my family. There is no other reason. And I think that there's so much more gravitas to decisions I make today because obviously it's not just about me. A, a decision about this or that impacts a lot of other people. And so as I think life should be, you know, it, for me, I didn't even know that I wanted children. And now that I have my daughter, it, it's shocking even to me, probably mostly than anybody, how much that changed has changed my perspective on what I do and how I do it, more importantly. So, yeah, it's the only reason why I think I do what I do still and try to do it with integrity and kindness and humility um, and ambition. And ambition in our house is not a dirty word, especially when I'm trying to raise a fierce little girl. Um, so I'm trying to do it all the right way for her. And so... Um, yeah, that's the answer. I would never be where I was, nor I think still striving for success or the next mountaintop without my family. Melissa Grello, hugely successful television star, still humble and so kind. Thank you. And Robert, I would like to say it's been a while since we've been able to connect, but um, if there's anybody who has been a mentor and a guide and a role model for me from the earliest days that we met. To this day, I tell people when they ask, who is the most influential person in your career? And without a doubt, every single time I say it is Anne Romer. So thank you for setting the mold and um, for being such a guide to me. I simply wouldn't be where I was today if I hadn't have met you and, and had the privilege of working alongside and watching you at your finest. Okay, so now my producer today is going to say to me, don't cry. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. Such a pleasure. You are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.